Anton Watson moved up the record books. Graham E.K. dominated, and Dusty Stromer and Jun Suk Yeo showed continued offensive improvement in Gonzaga's win over Jackson State on Wednesday. Let's break it all down. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. going on y'all welcome into the locked on zags podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day i'm your host and longtime gonzaga podcaster andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things zag athletics today's episode of locked on zags is brought to you by game time folks download the game time app create an account and use promo code locked on college for 20 dollars off your first purchase we're going to close out the week discussing the Lady Zags picking up a big win against Arizona in Phoenix, what that means for them. But first, we are going to recap Gonzaga's game against Jackson State on Wednesday evening, the final non-conference game before the Christmas break. They will be back on December 29th to host the Aztecs of San Diego State before getting into conference play. And the Zags handled Jackson State as we expected them to do their third SWAC opponent of the season. They won 100-76, to 76, their third game of the year, getting to that 100-point marker. They did it against Eastern Oregon. They did it against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Now they do it here against the Tigers of Jackson State. 6-0 at home for the Zags, 9-3 on the year. Uh, and we saw the Zags run their starters quite a bit in this game, something that I know people were kind of clamoring to see more of some of the bench guys. I think it's possible that with the long gap in between games, they felt more comfortable with that. There is an element of, of wanting to make sure that you run up the score against teams like this just because of the way that the net and Ken Palm and, and other analytic systems work. So kind of frustrating to have to play the starters. Obviously, Gonzaga is lacking in guard depth in totality on this team so there's certainly some some reasons you might not see as many bench guys in this game but still a, a really solid performance I'll go through the good and the bad we'll talk about the five keys that we had before the game uh, before we get into that talk on the women's basketball team uh the good Gonzaga the most free throw attempts and most free throw makes of the season in this game uh, the percentage wasn't elite by any stretch but they made 27 free throws and certainly that's what you would expect against a team that lacked the size that Jackson State did. One of their players fouled out with like 13 minutes to go in part because he picked up his fourth foul and then immediately picked up a technical foul. He was a little rattled after Anton Watson absolutely threw down on him in transition. And that kind of leads to one of my other good points. Really liked Gonzaga's transition offense in this game. Uh, something we haven't really seen from them when they've played those higher quality opponents. Something I'd like to see more of from them. I understand that they have some difficulties running out in transition when they don't have very much guard depth. It's difficult to get out there and run as much as some of Gonzaga's previous teams, just because they don't have, uh, because they have to play their guards 38, 39, 40 minutes per game, but really enjoyed the transition offense. Uh, and uh, Ryan Nembhard, excuse me, in particular, uh, throwing the ball out ahead in transition, those throw ahead passes reminiscent of his brother, Andrew, who was very good at that. We saw Ryan do that a handful of times. That's what ultimately led to Anton Watson's big dunk in the second half. We saw some other highlight reel uh, caliber transition offensive plays as well, in part, again, because of Ryan's ability to get that ball out in transition. He finished with 11 points, six assists, five boards. He did have a very scary fall in the second half that definitely uh, gave a lot of people some heart palpitations. It looks like he's completely fine. I'm sure he's pretty darn sore on Thursday morning after the game, but I have no doubt he'll be fine, especially with such a long gap. 
Other things I really liked in this game, the Zags took it to Jackson State early in the second half, and that's not something we see them do all that often. Uh, even against teams like this, sometimes Gonzaga kind of struggles in the first five minutes of the second half. The other team makes adjustments. Gonzaga's maybe not as prepared for them. That was not the case here. Gonzaga started 4-6 in the second half, opened up a 20-point lead. They went 10-0 run in a literal 90-second span, 10-0 run, and just absolutely blasted Jackson State early in the second half. Uh, Jackson State ended up making the score look a little bit closer at the end of the game. We'll talk about that momentarily. But another great thing that happened in this game, Anton Watson is now second in Gonzaga basketball history in steals. He moved into second place, passes Josh Perkins, only behind the great John Stockton, who will probably never be caught if Watson's not going to catch him as a fifth-year guy, and he's not even going to come close. John Stockton, absolute masterclass at steals. He didn't even spend all four years at Gonzaga and is far, far, far and away the leading steals man for the Zags. But Watson, for him to do it as a six-foot-eight forward, just shows the incredible hands that he has, the defensive instincts that he has, things that we've known about him since he was a true freshman. Very cool to see a Spokane kid spend five years at Gonzaga and get a chance to, to really etch his name into Gonzaga's record book in a major way. A really nice game from him as well. Only had 10 points, but he had eight boards, six assists, two steals, and went one of one from beyond the arc. I also really want to talk about Braden Huff again, not just his performance, although it was fantastic, 17 points, nine boards, and two blocks on seven of nine shooting in 23 minutes. That's what we've seen from Braden Huff throughout uh, these types of games. Comes off the bench, plays 20-ish minutes, scores a bunch of points on a really, really high field goal percentage, and, and that's fantastic. Don't get me wrong, but what I really like from Huff and what I'm excited to see from him developmentally, uh, especially as we get into those bigger games, you know, as, as we see him continue to grow and play well in those uh, higher competition games, which hasn't quite happened yet, his patience with the basketball. The maturity that he has to wait out a double team, dribble out of it, find an open cutter, uh, just assess the situation, go pump fake, go the other way. Like he's, he doesn't get rushed. He doesn't panic with the basketball. He's not perfect, especially against better teams. Sometimes his patience has actually been a negative thing where they've been able to come double him quicker and, and take the ball away from him. But the maturity that he displays as a low post score, as a freshman, is, is the only player I can remember who was that good at just knowing what to do with the basketball as a freshman is Drew Timmy. I'm not saying Braden Huff is going to be Drew Timmy necessarily, but Shemek Karnowski was not that good as a freshman. Robert Sacre was not that good as a freshman. Like you can go down the list of, of great Gonzaga centers and they were not as polished as Braden Huff looks just from, from a maturation perspective with the basketball in his hands. I have a feeling the red shirt year playing alongside Drew Timmy probably helped him uh, in a major way. A couple other good things. Uh, Nolan Hickman had 18 points in this one. Graham E.K. had 22 points, 11 rebounds in literally 17 minutes of action. The Zags had 20 assists to just eight turnovers. Uh, the bad stuff, three-point shooting again, five of 18 against a team like this. This team gives up 38% from three. They're one of the worst three-point defensive teams in the country, and the Zags still shot under 28% from three. They just are not shooting the ball well this season. Uh, we talked about the free throw shooting, 27 makes, 39 attempts. All that's great, 69%. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not, uh, that's a little nitpicky, but you'd like to see the team shoot a little better from three, or excuse me, from the free throw line going forward. Uh, we saw the three big lineup, and frankly, it just, it just doesn't look good. I wanted it to work. You wanted it to work. I think it works in spurts. I think it works at times, but the offense really stalls out 
The floor spacing is an issue. Defensively, they don't defend the perimeter well. This lineup just doesn't work. And I think Mark Few really tried it in this game. I think they ran it for like the last eight minutes of the first half. It was very baffling that Jun Sukio did not play until about the eight-minute mark in the second half, considering he's played rotation minutes, considering we've been clamoring for him to be a rotation player. It was a bit mystifying to not see him on the floor until the last quarter of the game. Uh, we'll talk about him momentarily, but uh, the, the Zags really tried this three big lineup. And I think Mark Few might just be experimenting with some things, trying to figure out what can I do uh, without Krinovich, without, of course, Steel Venters. Like, how, how can we make this work? And he, he he gave the three three big lineup a shot. I just, I, I'm not in love with it. I, I see the appeal in some ways. Uh, and Ben didn't have a particularly great game today, but he's a high energy guy, high on Wednesday, I should say. He's a high energy guy, high hustle guy. And I really, really like Ben Gregg a lot. I know a lot of you are clamoring for him to play more minutes. And I understand that, but I don't think starting him in this lineup with these guys with, with EK and Watson or with Huff and Watson or whatever combination, it just doesn't look like it's working to me and maybe some more time with it will will even it out and iron it out but ultimately it prevents them from getting out in transition it hurts them from an outside shooting perspective it's just not a lineup that i think is is going to be really conducive to victories and and wasn't a, a good lineup choice against a small but quick team like jackson state Outside of that, Gonzaga didn't rebound all that well. They did win the rebounding battle, but they had the same number of rebounds in the first half and barely out-rebounded a team that had they had a massive height advantage over. That was kind of disappointing to see. Uh, and in the last few minutes of the game, you know, people were, were like, we got to get Ryan Emford out of the game. We got to get Nolan Hickman out of the game. We did get those guys out of the game. And then Jackson State went nuclear from beyond the arc, made a whole bunch of threes. They ultimately shot 40% from three on 13 of 32 shooting. Ken Evans went absolutely crazy at the end of the game, knocking down a bunch of threes. That's what happens in garbage time. Like, no disrespect to Joe Few, Colby Brooks. Those guys are not Division One caliber defenders. And it showed. They got worked in the last five minutes of that game in Jackson. I mean, they weren't in danger of coming back and winning the game, but I can see why Mark Few doesn't play those guys for the last eight minutes of the game. As much as it might be nice to get Ryan Nemhart a break, teams can come back on that. If Jackson State can go crazy from three against us when we play those guys, we can't do it. And that's going to be an unfortunate reality, even in the WCC of, of like, we may not be able to, to empty the bench as early as we would like to. But we wanted to see more offensive confidence from Yo and Stromer. We also wanted to see better three-point shooting. How do we do on those things? We're going to discuss that coming up after I tell you about today's sponsored game time. Folks, we are just a few days away from Christmas. And if you're like me, you might need some last-minute gift ideas. Well, good news. You're in luck with Game Time, the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you, plus with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event, and thankfully, Game Time has got you covered, and Game Time has tickets, deals on tickets right up to the start of the event, and even an hour after it starts. I bought tickets to an Oregon State, Utah Valley game a few weeks ago, 14 bucks for two tickets right in front of the, right near the bench, ultimately ended up not going, resold them on game time, got my money back. It is really safe, easy, secure way to get your tickets. So if you want to get involved, download the game time app, create an account and use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE and you'll get $20 off your first purchase. That's two tickets right there. Again, create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Terms do apply. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. All right, folks, we want to continue our conversation here about Jackson State. Gonzaga's 176 victory 
over the Tigers, their final game before Christmas break, their sixth win at home of the season. And for those of you who are longtime listeners, everyday listeners, you know that we do our five either keys to victory or five things we're watching for. In this case, it was what are we going to what are we looking for? What are we hoping to see from the Zags against Jackson State on Wednesday? I laid out my five things. We're going to talk about what we saw. And the first one was more confidence from Yo on offense. And unfortunately, as we mentioned earlier, Yo didn't get in the game until the 740 mark in the second half. Now, the fun thing about Yo is he scored two points literally before any time came off the clock. Yo came in as a free throw or a substitution during a free throw, uh, got in a rebounding position, free throw was missed. Yo jumped up, tipped it in, two points, no time came off the clock. Very, very fun to see that from Yo immediately making an impact. Like you cannot make an impact on a basketball game faster than scoring two points before a single second has ticked off the clock. And from there, Yo displayed exactly what we wanted to see from him. More confidence offensively. He looked fantastic defensively. There were multiple moments where every, the thing I love about Yo, every time he gets the basketball, he wants to score. It is so clear. And there have been some tunnel vision players in Gonzaga's past. Uh, and there are some currently on the team. Like Graham E.K. is not a particularly great passer. That's one of the few kind of criticisms about him. But Yo is like super, super tunnel visioned at the basket. No matter where he is, if he has the ball in his hand, he wants to score. But you can see that he is starting to make better decisions. There was a great moment where he caught a pass in the, in the corner for a three, and he was open. He was open, but it was early in the shot clock, and it wasn't a particularly good look, and he he didn't shoot it. He ended up swinging it around, and they set up their offense. And Richard Fox on the broadcast commented on the, the maturity and the development that it takes to make that move. There was another possession later where he pump faked a three, where he could have probably shot it. Pump fake took two dribbles, got a 15-foot pull-up shot, pulled up, bang. That is what I love. That possession right there is running through my head because that's what we wanted to see. If I could pick something that I wanted to see in this basketball game, yo pump faking a three, taking two dribbles and hitting a 15 foot pull up, that would have been on the list. And we saw it from Yo early in his time in this game. And I think that is the kind of thing that we need to see from Yo. Making smart decisions with the basketball, getting open looks, not taking shots as soon as he catches the basketball. Those are the kind of things that were really valuable for Yo in this game. He finished with six points, three rebounds, all of them offensive, two of three shooting. Again, he only played eight minutes, but a really nice performance from him. The other thing we wanted to see was Dusty Stromer playing the two. And he did... When Yo came in, that was a substitution that took out one of the guards and allowed Stromer to slide down to the two. It wasn't for a particularly long stretch of game, but we did get to see Dusty playing the two at times. He also played the two uh, for parts of the time when the Zags were playing the three-big lineup. For part of the three-big lineup, both Nemhart and Hickman were in, but Hickman did get a break at, at one point, and Stromer was playing the two there. But more importantly for, for Dusty, what we wanted to see was, was more offensive confidence, and we saw that from him in this game. He knocked down his first three-point attempt. He knocked down a three point attempt early in the second half. He had made an entry pass to Graham EK. EK kicked it out. Stromer hit the shot. That's what I want to see him being able to have that two man game, being able to showcase like the ability to make the entry pass to, to play within the offense, not just be a player who contributes defensively and stands in the corner on offense and takes threes because Gonzaga has had players like that in the past and Dusty's just too good and too valuable. And with the lack of depth on this team, he's too important to, to not have more of a, a versatile role offensively. And, and we saw that here. He had the two three-pointers. He had a really nice cut to the basket that led to an easy lay-in on a nice pass from uh, Ryan Nemhard. Uh, 
eight points for him in this game. He also had six rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and a steal. Three of six shooting, two of three from three. Again, really nice stuff from Dusty Strummer. Uh, we knew he'd be great defensively. Not surprised that he put up good numbers there. He's one of the best freshman defenders I can remember. Gonzaga having that's not named Jalen Suggs or Chet Holmgren. Uh, but, but to see the offensive growth is, is incredibly valuable. Key number three was to find some confidence as a team from beyond the arc, and it just didn't happen. It just did not happen. Five of 18, three of eight in the first half, two of 10 from three in the second half, 20% from three. It wasn't like a bunch of garbage time threes. You know, it wasn't Joe Few or, or Colby Brooks or those guys taking a bunch of threes to drag down the percentage. That's not what happened. Dusty Strummer went two of three. Anton Watson went one of one from three. The rest of the team not named Dusty Stromer and Anton Watson. Those guys shouldn't be your best two three-point shooters, but the rest of the team, two of 14 from three. Ryan Nempard went 0 of three. That He needs to find that three-point shot. He had a good game otherwise. I really liked his performance in this game, and it's not like they're bad shots. They were open three-point shots. He's just not knocking them down. He's now under 19% from three. I think he's under 18% actually. He's in a, a horrendous shooting slump. This is a guy who shot 35% last year. I cannot believe that he has fallen this far as a three-point shooter. He will find that shot. I thought this was a phenomenal opportunity for him to do it, and it didn't happen. It just didn't happen. Rest of the team didn't shoot well either. Ben Gregg missed a few. Braden Huff missed one. Not overly concerned about those guys. They've been shooting over 45% from three. The percentage was probably always going to come down a little bit for those guys, but uh, frustrating to see this team not take advantage of, of what was a really good opportunity to get their groove from beyond the arc. Number four was growth from Pavle Stosic. We hope to see four to five minutes from him in this game. We saw two minutes from him in this game instead, brought him in really late. Uh, Mark Few was kind of not trying to bring guys into the game to, to potentially let Jackson State get the score a little bit closer. Uh, I saw some decent stuff from Stosic in a, again, incredibly small sample size of minutes here. He scored pretty much immediately on a really nice throw-ahead pass from Braden Huff. Uh, Jackson State was pressing. Joe Few got rid of the basketball to Braden. Braden threw it all the way down the court to Stosic. He scored at the rim. With I mean, he was it was contested. There was a guy right in his face, and he still laid it in. So that was nice to see from him. He missed his other shot. There was another uh, uh, earlier in the game or in that same situation where Few was getting pressured, uh, and Stosic ran up and, and got a pass from him at half court. I thought that was kind of a heady play from Pavle to, to make sure to go get help his guard out and, and get the ball across half court. You know, just a small thing that I'm sure Mark Few was happy to see. Stosich kind of have the the wherewithal to go do that. Uh, those are kind of the, the nice things to see in terms of like small moments of growth and development for players like Pavle. Uh, again, he joined this team in late September. He's still really kind of figuring things out, I'm sure, in a pretty significant way. But I was glad to see him uh, do a few good things in his very small amount of minutes uh, in this game. And then number five was potentially first half walk-on minutes or extended walk-on minutes. And again, as we've kind of touched on already, because I think Mark Few is worried about letting Jackson State make this score look a little better than it was, which they ended up doing ultimately. We just didn't see that. We didn't see any for, in fact, we only saw seven players in the first half, the five starters, Braden Huff, Ben Gregg. We didn't see any yo in the first half. We didn't see the walk-ons till about the five minute mark was when Joe Few came in. Colby came in about the three minute mark. Uh, Joe got to the free throw line, missed both of them. Uh, his defense, he was working hard. I'm not trying to criticize Joe. He's not a division one basketball player. Uh, he looks more than capable of playing for Eastern Oregon, but they are an NAIA school. Uh, this is the kind of game that that showed, you know, that he's, that he's not a guy who would play at, at Jackson State. You know, he was working hard, but they were pressuring him. He was struggling with the basketball a little bit. Uh, the, the perimeter defense, I mean, 
Jackson State just went crazy shooting uh, in the last few minutes of that game. Colby Brooks came in. He took one jump shot. He got a rebound. That was it. So we just didn't get a chance to see these guys play more minutes because I think Mark didn't want to didn't want to uh, let this game get any closer. And, and it did. It was a 30-point game that ended up being a 24-point game. Still not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but uh, was part of the reason we didn't see these guys play any more than, than we could have. We're going to close out the show discussing the Lady Zags. They got a big win over Arizona, what it means for their strength of schedule, what it means for the rest of their non-conference as they get into conference play. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers stay hot on FanDuel. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. There is a wide range of betting options, which include spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. And look, I'm not saying it's likely, but right now FanDuel has 10,000 to 1 odds for the Lady Zags to win it all. They are playing phenomenal right now. I might be willing to drop a little cash on it. If you want to join me, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel, an official partner of the NFL. All right, segment three, still any patents, still Locked on Zags podcast, and we are talking Lisa Fortier and the women's basketball program as they took a big victory in Phoenix, Arizona against the Wildcats, 81-69. to It was the first matchup between Gonzaga and Arizona on the women's side. Uh, I was surprised to hear that. Gonzaga plays pretty much everybody in the Pac-12 as often as they can, but this is the first time lining up with those Wildcats. Um, the Lady Zags really handled this one in a major way. Arizona made a bit of a comeback in the fourth quarter, but uh, the Zags were up 10 or so by halftime and then huge monster third quarter. The Zags outscored Arizona in the third quarter 29 to 14. Brenda Maxwell had 17 points in this game, 14 of them. 14 of them came in that third quarter. Uh, a six of eight shooting for her, four of five from beyond the arc. Uh, really, really nice performance from her. But the star, as it has been all season long for Gonzaga, Yvonne Ejim, monster, monster, monster performance from her. 27 points, seven rebounds, four blocks. She shot 13 of 18. We've been talking about her efficiency and how that is a, a vital key for her this season and for her potential WNBA draft prospects. 13 of 18 against a good Arizona team, 27 points. She looks like a WNBA player. She had 21 points at halftime in this game. Arizona had no answer for her. They could not stop her in this game. She was finishing around the rim. She's got a little jump shot. Like everything that she did was just absolute gold in this contest. The Zags out-rebounded the Wildcats 32 to 21. They had a 20 to 10 advantage in assists. They just straight up won this game. The only reason it was even close at all really was turnovers. The Lady Zags did have 20 turnovers in this game. Arizona, decent defensive team, got out, got some steals, uh, put some pressure on, on the guards, on the Trung Twins in particular. They got some turnovers. Vani had, I think, five or six turnovers in this game, so that's still an area. It's kind of like Drew Timmy in a sense where, where Drew would have a lot of turnovers and people would kind of criticize for that, but it was like, well, if, if every single possession down, you're getting the ball in your hands, like you're going to just – you're going to turn the ball over more often when you have the ball a lot and when you're expected to be kind of a point forward type. Uh, and that, that They're not really asking Vani to do that necessarily, but still a few 
few turnovers from her. I'm sure that's something that Coach Fortier addressed uh, in the post game. Was as a team, like 20 turnovers is not a good recipe for success, and certainly was part of the reason Arizona was able to get back into this game and make the score a little bit closer than it really kind of felt like it was. But hard to complain about shooting 63% as a team, shooting 47% from three. Uh, as a team going into Phoenix again, it was a neutral side game, but it was a, a, a neutral advantage Arizona game uh, being in Phoenix. So to go into that kind of environment, beat another Pac-12 school. I mean, they beat Stanford at home. They got win over Cal. Like this team has played extremely well in the non-conference schedule. They are 12 and two right now. They have one non-con game remaining. That game is on Friday, the 22nd. It is against New Mexico. New Mexico is eight and three on the year out of the Mountain West Conference. They are 222nd though in the net rankings. Don't have any major victories, some losses they shouldn't have. Uh, this is not a particularly good team. It's a, a kind of a, a tune-up game of sorts for the women's basketball program before they get into the WCC tournament. So very, very good chance that the Lady Zags are 13-2 and two heading into the WCC season. And at that point, they, they're, they're going to be favored in every game going forward. Let's put it that way. They're going to be favored in every single basketball game they play from now until after Selection Monday when we find out who they're playing in the NCAA tournament. And frankly, at this point, they are probably going to be favored in their first-round game in the NCAA tournament. Does that mean they're going to win every game between now and then? No, not necessarily. And it's part of the problem for the women's basketball program is that losses in the WCC are really killer. Men's team is feeling it a bit more too, a bit more than usual this year as well, because the WCC has not been good because Gonzaga's men's team has that loss to Washington. On the women's side, their two losses are Louisville and Washington State. Neither of them are bad losses. Both those teams have been ranked at times this year, although I believe neither of those teams are ranked right now. I know Washington State is not Louisville. I don't think is, but I'm not actually positive as I'm recording this right now. But either way, those are two quality losses. They don't have any bad losses. Again, those are the only two that they have. Washington State was a true road game. Louisville was a neutral site game. So this team is in a really good spot. The problem is it's just precarious. No BYU drags down the WCC in a way that is more impactful than it is on the men's side. And, and I think the second best team in the conference right now is Santa Clara from a net perspective. Uh, the net ranking was like 65th last time I checked. They were the only other team in the top 100 of the net ranking. Portland was like 109th in the net. So there's a chance they get into the top 100, but that's still not very good. And, and that's a big issue for this team. We talked about this on Thursday's episode. For those of you who missed it, the big news of Washington State and Oregon State joining the WCC uh, for the 24-25 and 25-26 seasons. Uh, it's a huge deal for women's basketball exactly for that reason. Washington State and Oregon State are top 30 teams in the net. Uh, Oregon State has been ranked every year in the last eight years. They've been ranked in the top 10 in five of those nine years. Wazoo was a five seed in the NCAA tournament last year. Like These are two really good women's basketball programs. And maybe they get a bit of a hit recruiting-wise being in the WCC as opposed to being in the Pac-12. And maybe those programs take a little bit of a tumble, but they're going to be the second and third best teams in the WCC by a pretty significant margin as soon as they join next year. And that is a vital thing for Lisa Fortier's program because, as we're going to see right now, they their room for air is really small. Last year they lost to Santa Clara. Then they lost to Portland in the WCC championship. Those two losses absolutely pummeled their their uh, seeding and they ended up with a nine seed against a, a good Ole Miss team as an eight seed and unfortunately lost Ole Miss then went ahead to beat Stanford uh, and advanced to the Sweet 16 and Gonzaga should have been a six or a seven seed last year maybe even a five seed 
that they weren't because they had a few bad losses and bad losses in the WCC really killer. This team is absolutely capable of being a two loss team by the time the NCAA tournament rolls around. And if they are, it would be a crime if they were any lower than a four seed, a crime. If they're a two loss team with the wins that they have, yes, the WCC is not going to give them very many opportunities, but if they go, if they don't lose another game, they're going to, they should be a three seed. They should be a three seed or, or at worst a four seed. But if they lose one game, if they lose two games, they might be all the way down to a seven or that dreaded eight, nine line again. Hopefully that is not the case. Hopefully this team's experience and depth and just the, the margin of victory that we're seeing them put up against teams. I mean, if they blow out everybody in the WCC, that should help them get a better seed uh, come selection Monday for the women's team. But I, I think this team has done everything they can from a scheduling perspective. They've won the games they need to win. They would love to have one of those games at least back against Washington State and Louisville. But to be in the position they're in, uh, Lisa Fortier has, has worked very hard to put this team in a spot to get a favorable seed in March. And now jobs on them. They just got to keep winning, keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. They'll get a chance against New Mexico uh, to close again, to close out the non-conference slate. They'll start the conference play right after that. And hopefully they can continue cruising with this veteran team and put themselves in a position to get a really nice seed in March. It's going to wrap us up for today and this week here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thank you so much for making sure your first listen or your first watch of the day. Shout out to those everyday listeners. Thanks for joining me on the Discord as well. If you have not done so, there is a link in your show notes. It is free to join, and we're talking Zags hoops all day long. We'll be back next week. We will have episodes around the Christmas time. We'll probably miss at least one day next week, but we'll definitely do some fun stuff to celebrate the holiday here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Thanks again, and until next time. As always, go Zags.